The New York Mets have signed Sean Mania to a two-year deal. Are they done adding to their starting rotation? I'll break it all down on today's edition. Locked on Mets. You are locked on Mets. Your daily New York Mets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello to all you amazing Mets fans. You're listening to Locked On Mets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for making Locked On Mets your first listen every day. Locked On Mets is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. On the show today, I went live to break down the Sean Mania signing on YouTube in the first segment. I talked about his last season, the upsides in making this deal. In the second segment, took an overall look at the starting rotation that the Mets have put together this offseason and wondered if they are done adding to it. Then in the final segment, looked at this roster as a whole. Where are they at right now? Are they actually a team that can contend for the playoffs? Or is it just setting up for a disappointing 2024? Before we get to any of it, I'm your host, Ryan Ficklestein. If you want to find any of my work, follow me on X at Ficklestein Ryan. I also find some of my writing at JustBaseball.com, where I work as the managing editor where I just wrote an article about the Sean Mania signing, breaking down everything from this past season, what the Mets are getting in Mania. Basically, if you look at this past year, this is a guy that went to driveline and got all of that uptick and stuff that makes you know front offices salivate over a pitcher that didn't have the best success overall. If you look at the numbers just on the surface, a 4.44 ERA, that's not getting you excited about Sean Mania, but he did pitch a lot better down the stretch at a 3.60 ERA in his final, I think it was 29 appearances. He had a 7.96 ERA in his first eight appearances. Now, he did not pitch strictly out of the rotation for the Giants. He actually pitched more out of the bullpen, had 10 starts and 27 relief appearances. But what the Mets have done here is they've added a guy that has some upside. Okay, Sean Mania gets a two-year, $28 million deal with an opt-out. It's about the market for starting pitching this year. And this is a guy that could pop and be better than he was this past year. Okay, you look at the velocity that he saw. It was a over two-mile-per-hour jump from 2022 to 2023. Okay, in 2022, he sat at 91.3 miles per hour. This past year, 2023, he sat at 93.6 miles per hour and topped out over 97. There's a video that you can find on X or Twitter uh, from Driveline, which I believe I did retweet at some point today. Uh, but it talks about what they did with Shamanai. And basically, they said that he was not using his torso at all. And so they were able to get him to use that torso rotation to increase his velocity. And that's where you saw the big jump. Manai is a big guy. He's six foot five, left handed pitcher, gets great extensions in the top five percentile in baseball when it comes to extension, and now that he's living more in the mid-90s instead of the low-90s, his stuff is playing up. And we saw that across the board when it comes to the velocity. All of his pitches had a jump in velo, which obviously bodes well over time, particularly with a fastball. He can now attack the zone with a lot more comfort than he did in years past. With all that said, it's not like his fastball was exceptional last year. I mean, the velocity was great but it still got hit pretty much in line with what he did in the past. 
And you look at his other pitches, right? He's got a changeup, which is his second most used pitch. He's got a slider. And then there's the implementation of the sweeper. And I've seen a lot throughout Mania's free agency about this sweeper, how he added a sweeper to his arsenal and it changed everything. And I will say that that sweeper was very good because for one, it gives you another pitch that changes speeds. You know, last year, his changeup sat at 86.6 miles per hour, his slider at 83.9 miles per hour. The sweeper came in at 79.6. So it gives you that big change. And it's obviously got that great movement that a lot of sweepers have that really kind of dives on you, you know, outside of the zone, particularly batters hit just 140 against a sweeper. So that is great. The expected batting average was 161. They slugged 163 on the pitch. Their expected slug was 211. They only hit one extra base hit off of his sweeper, and it was a double. He did not give up a home run on the sweeper last season. But what I did find, and I'll get into the bad parts of his slider in a minute. Everyone's talking about this sweeper, how this is the the thing that that changed everything for Sean Maniah. And they also talk about his last four starts down the stretch. He eventually got put back in the rotation, closed September in the Giants rotation, and in four starts, pitched to a 2-2-5 ERA. How many sweepers do you think you threw in those four starts? I was expected to go and see a bunch, right? But I pulled up each individual game log from Baseball Savant. I saw two sweepers thrown, and he threw his slider 54 times. So I was going to compare the sweeper to the slider and talk about how the run value on a sweeper was positive three. The run value on a slider was minus nine. Batters hit 284 against his slider last year with a 567 slugging percentage. And I was going to say, hey, you throw out the slider, you go fastball changeup sweeper, and this is a new man, but he was throwing the slider in that best run of success he had down the stretch way more than the sweeper. He sort of abandoned it in those four starts. I don't think this is about a sweeper changing this guy, as much as that was sort of the narrative that we saw throughout his free agency. Hey, this guy had a sweeper. He's great. To me, it's the velocity. Okay, It's adding that two miles per hour on his fastball, his changeup, his slider, all of his pitches. Now, adding the sweeper as a fourth pitch to have a real fourth pitch mix to be able to complement you know, all of his other pitches with that sweeper, that change of page, pace pitch, I think that's great. But really what you have to be excited about, what you have to be thinking about when it comes to Shamanaya, it's not that a sweeper changed everything. It's that this guy is now going into year two after working with driveline. He had a long strand of success of about 100 innings where he pitched to a mid-three ZRA. And he's coming on on essentially a one-year deal. I mean, it's a two-year deal for Manaya, which gives him, of course, that security blanket. But if he pitches well, it's one year and he's out. And I think, as we'll transition the later segments here, you know, when it comes to what this means next for the Mets, you know, I think if you were to compare Sean Manaya to Shota Imanaga, uh, as far as the top of the market, Jordan Montgomery, obviously he doesn't have their ceiling. But maybe the Mets think the floor is somewhat closer to what those guys would have put up, and or at least the facsimile of it. And it's only a two-year commitment instead of a five-year commitment for Emanaga potentially, and a seven-year commitment on Montgomery, where guys are going to be getting paid way more than they're probably worth in this market. So instead, overpay on a two-year deal instead of overpaying on a seven-year deal. I think that's generally what they went with here. And if you compare Emanaga to Hyun Jin Ryu, who was another you know pitcher the Mets showed interest in that was in this market 
I think Manaya is much safer when it comes to the health. This guy's going to be going into his age 32 season. Ryu, I didn't pull it for this episode in particular, but I believe it was 36 last year. So 37 potentially this upcoming season coming off Tommy John, his second year removed from Tommy John, the only pitch down the stretch of the season. So there's a big question mark when it comes to the injury there. Manaya, I think you feel pretty confident that he could be a back-end starter for you. And I think you hope that what he did in that, you know, final, uh, you know, what it was, let's actually, it was a three, four, four ERA. I might've had that wrong before three, four, four ERA and 91 and two third innings pitch in his final 27 appearances. So if he has that level of success over a full season, this is an unbelievable signing. But with all of that said, when you look at what the Mets have done as a whole this offseason with their rotation, as much as I can look at each individual move and like it, as much as I could say, oh, Luis Severino, nice bounce back candidate. Maybe he can be you know, closer to the 2022 version of himself and the Mets have a really nice pitcher with you know, front line potential. But then there was the downside of last year. But again, I could ignore that if he was just maybe the second starter that they had or the third best starter that they had. Adrian Hauser in the trade with the Brewers. Great pickup. Love it. You know, Coleman Crow as a prospect, that's really not much to give up to get Hauser and Taylor. Really good move. Sean Manaya, I like this signing. I do. I don't want to make this seem like I hate the guy. I think it's a good pickup, a good dollar amount. But when you put the three moves together and you look at the Mets rotation as a whole, that is where I have my concern. That's where I wonder about what the ceiling of this team is. Can this team actually push for a playoff spot? So I want to talk about that. Where the rotation is now, are they done adding? I'll break it all down in just a minute. First, though, today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. The NFL season is wrapping up, but there's still time to get on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. It's $150, win or lose. The app is so easy to use, and there's so many different ways to bet, like live same-game parlays, you can find bets in the new Explore tab. You can make a parlay in the Parlay Hub. That's the best way to find popular parlays. And remember, today's a Sunday, so we got NFL games going. There's also NBA action every night, so there's always something to play over at FanDuel. And remember, you place a $5 money line bet. It's win or lose. You're going to get the $150 in bonus bets. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Couple more notes on Sean Maniah before I talk about the rotation. Just some fun facts. This guy was a first round pick all the way back in 2013 with the Kansas City Royals. Here's the one that I found though that is just, uh, I don't know if it's a bad omen or not, but he was traded to go to Oakland. That's where he debuted in 2016, spent the first six years of his career, 386 ERA. He was a good pitcher there. Who is he traded for to get to Oakland? Anyone know? Ben Zobrist. Okay, he was traded to from the Royals to the A's, and Ben Zobris headed back over to the 2015 Kansas City Royals. We all remember the 2015 Kansas City Royals. I don't need to spend any more time on that. Let's look, though, at the Mets rotation, right? One through six. Kodai Senga is your ace. 
Jose Quintana is your two. How much time have we spent going back to last August, September, talking about the Mets 2024 rotation, saying, oh, Jose Quintana is great. He was their number two down the stretch, and he pitched well. But there was many times where we said, as long as he's you know your three or four star, you feel good about the Mets rotation. As things are presently constructed, I think he's there too. Now, realistically, I honestly think Manaya is probably the third best starter on this team. Uh, but based on breaking up lefties, Luis Severino is probably your three. And you know there was an article by the Athletic recently about how he was tipping pitches. Maybe you correct that, and maybe he's healthy. And I think he's one of those pieces that really could change the outlook of the Mets this year. If he is Severino of old and has an incredible bounce back season, well, this rotation looks a lot different. But there's now so much pressure on him to actually be that. And if he's the guy that pitches to an ERA over five and can't stay healthy, all of a sudden you bump up Manaya's slot. Adrian Hauser becomes your four, or actually, yeah, yeah, basically your your four. McGill becomes your five. The rotation just does not look as good. And that's where you're at, right? It's Senga, Quintana, Severino, Manaya, Hauser, McGill, Budo, and Lucchese for depth. Now, I, I will note that there is a lot of depth here. Like overall, you do have a lot of options you can go to. You still have Mike Vassell and Christian Scott waiting in the wings in the minor leagues. I broke down both of those guys at length in a podcast probably about two weeks ago. Now you can go back and find it. I do think there's some optimism there. And I do believe that if you're sort of looking at a season where it's more of a transition bridge year, which it definitely appears to be for the Mets, they've added some options to, to eat innings and to get by this year. And they didn't really block the door at all for some of those prospects to come up and, and to potentially establish themselves and be really excited pieces of this team. So I think that, you know, you look at where the Mets are across the board they're sort of building out like a B minus C plus roster. They're building out like a 500 team that's either going to go the wrong way and they're going to win like 78 games, or they're going to go the right way and they're going to be sitting at 85, 86 wins. And that's enough to get you in the playoffs these days. And maybe at that time you have Kodai Senga pitching well, maybe Severino or Manaya has you know put together an unbelievable season for themselves, which will allow them to, hit free agency next year and be really great pieces on the market. And they look like different pitchers and they can start a playoff game for you. You feel a lot different. And who knows, maybe the Mets are aggressive and at the deadline, but they're counting on a bunch of this right now. And what they're doing is they're just trying to continue to steadily raise the floor of this team. Now, while there's some downside in that, and while Mets fans aren't going to love it, because of course you want to see the team go into the season as, you know, world series, hopeful, it's still a better roster. It's still improvements across the board. I think you look at every single move that David Stearns has made in a vacuum. They've all been pretty solid moves. I hate the Joey Wendell signing, but that's a story for another day. Most of them have been good moves across the board. And you combine them all, and this team is absolutely better than they were a couple months ago. But it's hard to get excited for a rotation that – is counting on Manaya, Hauser, Severino as the big additions. Coming off an offseason, and part of that is competing with your past, right? Last year, the Mets added three starters. It was Justin Verlander, future Hall of Famer. It was Kodai Senga, who obviously wasn't the Yoshinobu Yamamoto of this market, 
I mean, he didn't get 300 plus million, but he was the top international arm and the Mets landed him last year in Sanga. And then you got Quintana. And if you look at Quintana's numbers in 2022 and compare them to any of the signings they've made or the trade with Hauser, Quintana is far better than all the additions they've made. And this year, Manaya is basically the Quintana-like addition. But just funny how the market is different. Last year, Quintana coming off a better year where he was in the rotation all year and started game one for a, a team in the playoffs. He got a two-year, uh, $26 million deal. Manaya this year gets two years, $28 million. And that's a reflection of this market. I think what Stearns is showing is he's not going to make bad deals. He's not going to look at this market and say, well, the best I can do is Jordan Montgomery, so let me give him that blank check for seven years, and four years from now, I'm be regretting it. I think that that's what this is about. It's about not making really bad signings because of the market. And you know, as a fan, you're looking at this rotation, and you're thinking, man, if it was Montgomery instead of Manaya, how much better would the Mets be? But if you look at it from a front office perspective, and you're saying, all right, Jordan Montgomery likely to pitch to a 3-5 ERA, give me 180 innings. Sean Manaya more likely to pitch to a 4-1 ERA, give me 150 innings. Is that worth the additional $150 million it might cost you or whatever it ends up being? And that's where you make this decision because you still say to yourself, well, we can help Manaya be even better. He's been working with Driveline. We're building a pitching lab. We have it in place. We're going to optimize what's his best offerings this year. And, you know, you talk yourself into Sean Manaya being good enough. And I, I think he probably is. And overall, I don't know if the rotation is necessarily going to hold the Mets back. I, I think they've added enough and there's enough depth here that they could be fine. But it's definitely a rotation that lacks the sex appeal of the Mets rotations of years past. So Kodai Senga as your ace is fine. I think we all would have hoped that the Mets would have got a pitcher that bumped him down to be a number two. And maybe that happens next year. The Mets could sign Brendan Woodruff this offseason still on a two-year deal. He's probably not going to pitch this year. And Woodruff has the capability to be an ace if he returns to form. The Mets could next year sign Corbin Burns. In 2025, I do think they're going to go into spring training with a much better rotation than what they have right now. But at least what they have right now is five starting pitchers that I think would be in most rotations. And McGill, as a, as a sixth man in that rotation who could compete with Hauser for that fifth spot, I think he's fine. I think Lucchese and Buzo is – Buzo, geez. Lucchese and Budo is good major league depth. And I'm excited about some of the kids coming. So I think the Mets are done in their rotation. I don't expect them to surprise us with another big move. If they do sign someone else, I imagine it's someone else to compete with McGill in that you know, swingman type role. What else do the Mets need to do? And can they do other things this offseason that make us feel better about their chances to actually compete for a playoff spot next year? That's what I'm going to talk about next. First, though, a word from our sponsors.
If you don't want to miss out on any of the latest Mets news, make sure you become a Locked On Mets insider. This is our texting service where I send updates anytime something happens. So as soon as Mania signed, I went over to Subtext and let our insiders know. You can also ask me questions anytime. I try to apply to everything I get over at Subtext. So I appreciate all of you who subscribe. You can do so by finding the link in the episode description or go to subtext.com slash locked on Mets. And what else did this team have to add? You, you, you look at the rotation. Like I said, it's pretty much set as is. Might be a B minus rotation, might be a C plus rotation. But you know what? I think they're going to get a lot more guys pitching in the low four ERAs to a mid threes ERA than last year where they had large parts of their rotation pitching to an ERA over five and six for big portion of the season. I mean, the way David Peterson pitched last year, Ben McGill pitched in stretches. There, there's a lot of room for upgrade just based on how bad they were last year for large portions of the season. So I think the rotation's okay. Not great, but I think they have enough for now. Or at least I don't imagine they're going to add more. Now, the Harrison Bader signing talked about last week. That sort of added another guy to the mix in the outfield. I think their outfield's set. The infield. Third base is the one position that you could address, but they've talked about wanting to give the young players an opportunity. You need to get those guys MLB reps. I think it's an open competition between Brett Beatty and Mark Vientos. And while Vientos in the past has not shown the ability to stay on the field defensively at third, hopefully he's worked a lot this offseason to give Beatty a run for his money. Otherwise, it's probably Beatty. And then Joey Wendell is your fallback guy, third base, which at least gives you a good defender. So I don't think they're going to add an infielder. They might trade Omar Narvaez this offseason. I don't know what you're going to get for Omar Narvaez. You know, if you eat the money, you might get a nice piece for your bullpen. I think that's probably you know, maybe the best you can do. But that might be something they do because Narvaez wants to play somewhere. And you can get a little bit of money off your books. But also, you have Tomas Nito you know, making a nice little chunk of change, sitting in the minor leagues now because no one claimed him last year. Nito could just be added back to the 40. He could be your backup. So that's one move that you can maybe expect over the next month here. The real question goes back to DH, which was my last show on Friday that I talked about. Do the Mets add a DH? And I, I guess based on everything that they've done so far this offseason, it does feel like they might want to marginally improve there. But are they going to sign the best option? Right, are they going to get J.D. Martinez, who's probably the best DH available, when he might get a two-year deal, maybe even a three-year deal, because this is his last chance to get a multi-year deal probably. It's coming off an unbelievable season with the Dodgers. If he gets multiple years, I don't know what the Mets are going to shop in that market. So maybe they fall back, and maybe they end up with Justin Turner, which would still be a good acquisition. He'd be able to solidify DH. He'd give you another option at third. In some respects, it's a good positional fit. But this is a Mets team that is going to need the guys that were in place last year, the guys that were in place in 2022, to be a lot better if they actually want to compete. The onus is not on Sean Manaya, Adrian Hauser, and Harrison Bader to make the Mets a playoff team. The onus is on Brandon Nimmo, Francisco Lindor, Pete Alonso, and Jeff McNeil to make this a playoff team. 
It's on Kodai Sang in that rotation. It's on Edwin Diaz in that bullpen. Those are the pieces that have to have great years that lift up all the other you know, near replacement, if not slightly above average players that you have that are filling out this roster. MLB guys, it's better than having you know 4A guys in those spots. But guys that aren't going to move the needle much, you need your star players from in-house to have big seasons. You need Francisco Alvarez in year two to build off of his 25 home run season and be a little bit more consistent offensively. You need some young player, whether it's Beatty, whether it's Vientos, or whether it's you know a Jet Williams, Luis and Helicuna, or Drew Gilbert to break out and be a big part of this team. And luckily with Jeff McNeil, if it's not Beatty or Vientos, you always could stick him at third if you had to, and one of those young guys could play second base if that is the piece that is ready to hit at the big league level. There are so many is with this team, but. I at least like the options that they've put together. I think they have really raised the floor of this team. So you're not going to hopefully fall into a massive hole in the first two months of the season. If you can play around 500 baseball and hang around early, and then you get that steady development from the young guys, it takes you to another level. The Mets can be a playoff team to get there though. They can't be done this off season either. If they really want to compete, I do think they got to add one bat. If it's Justin Turner, that's great. But they they should add at least one bat because you know what? There's going to be injuries. As much as there's still a big part of me that believes in Mark Vientos, I don't think you can give the keys to DH to Vientos and the keys to third base to Beatty. I think you're better suited putting those two guys in a competition. And you know what? If you have a bad defensive third baseman in Mark Vientos, but he's tearing the cover off the ball, and you're great defensively at the other eight positions, which I think the Mets are pretty solid at least. I mean, Pete Alonso, okay, but with the way they've added to their outfield with McNeil in the door up the middle, with Alvarez behind the plate, like they got a good defensive team. So I think that's the move. Get a DH. And then also the other thing that I think the Mets still need to do, they've cobbled together about a million options in that bullpen with all the minor league signings and the split deals and all of that stuff that they've done. And they signed Jorge Lopez and Michael Tonkin. They have to add a late innings reliever. You can't go into the year expecting to compete with Brooks Raley and Drew Smith as your late innings guys and hoping that Jorge Lopez has a bounce back coming off a terrible year. They need to find a way to get at least one bona fide high leverage reliever. They do that to pair with Edwin Diaz in that pen. And they count on all these other guys they've put together and hope that you know, of the 10 they've added or 12 they've added, that you know, quarter of them work out and you cobble together a decent bullpen. Then I think they'll be okay. I think they can then win these close games. That's what you have to do, though. You got it to me. I, I think priority number one, even over the DH right now, is getting that high leverage reliever. Get the DH, continue to round out the team, and then hope for a lot of development. Uh, I think that's that's where you're at. You just got to go into this year knowing that 2024 it's about trying to be competitive, trying to hang in there, but it's really about setting yourself up for 2025. And if that's the main goal of the off season, if, even if they didn't publicly state it, it's about keeping your flexibility, trying to you know be a competitive team that your fan base isn't going to hate watching, but always have that eye to 2025. They've done a good job of that. Okay. They haven't, 
gutted their farm system in any trade. They haven't signed any backbreaking contract. Next year, a lot of money is going to come off the books. The free agent class is going to be a lot better. They're going to have more options. This year, we're going to be watching a starting rotation. Kodai Senga, Jose Quintana, Luis Severino, Shamanaya, and Adrian Hauser. <laughs> that doesn't get you excited as a Mets fan. I think a lot of other things probably could get you excited. Uh, I don't want to, with all the negative talk, overshadow this move. This was about Shamanaya signing with the Mets. And again, looking at that specific signing in a vacuum, Shamanaya is a good deal for the Mets on this contract. He is. And I do believe there's upside there. I think he probably does pitch to a you know mid-three ZRA and give the Mets a really nice rotation option. The rotation as a whole, though, I don't know if it's good enough for this to be a playoff team. But it's only way f- one way for us to find out, and that's to watch this season. Uh, as always, I appreciate all of you who have tuned in, all of you who are watching live right now on YouTube. Thank you. Uh, make sure, if you're watching, hit that subscribe button, trying to make a push to 8,000 subs. So appreciate all of you subscribe. For all of you who will listen later on the podcast feed, uh, make sure you follow, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Follow me on XF Finkelstein Ryan if you want to be a Locked on Mets insider. Go to subtext.com slash Locked on Mets. Actually you made it to the end of the show. If you're watching on YouTube, head over to Locked on Sports Today, which is the first ever 24-7 streaming channel covering everything in the world of sports. Locked on Sports Today has coverage from our local experts on each team and our league-wide experts on each league. Follow Locked on Sports Today on YouTube 24-7.